Chapter 40. Captured. James stared, fear frozen at the feet in front of his face. They were like no feet he'd ever seen before. Sun-bronzed, calloused with long, curling yellow toenails. Not Alf's feet. Not pirate feet, either. Savages. For several eternal seconds, James kept his eyes on the feet, too terrified to lift his head, and looked at their owners. His body was rigid with terror as he waited for the savages to do something horrible to him. Bash his head with clubs or stab him with spears or tap him on the shoulder? James flinched violently with, when the finger touched him. From above, he heard cordling. They're laughing. Slowly, James raised his head, taking in two pairs of sturdy brown legs, leading up to two filthy loincloths made of some kind of woven fi fiber, then two muscular tor torsos, and finally, the faces of his captors. They were young men in their mid-twenties, one slightly taller than the other. Their faces framed their shoulder-length jet-black hair, were enough alike that the men could have been brothers. Both had high cheekbones, jutting angular noses, and deep, dark, or dark, deep set eyes. They did, in fact, have spears, dark wooden shafts, tops topped with bright pink tips, apparently fashioned from sharpened shells. But they held the spear, spears upright, and their bemused expressions told James that they weren't planning to stab him. Not right now, anyway. For a moment, James regarded the savages, and they him. Then the taller one made a lifting gesture with his non-spear hand, which James understood to mean that he was to stand. Legs trembling, he stood. Immediately, the shorter man turned and slipped into the jungle. The taller one gestured for James was to follow his companion. James stumbled forward, trying to keep up with the shorter man, who seemed to move effortlessly through the thick vegetation. The taller man followed close behind James, occasionally prodding him with a finger when they fell too far behind. They walked in silence, not stopping for maybe 15 minutes. James couldn't tell how the savages knew where they were going, but clearly they did, because suddenly they came to a large clearing, roughly circular, easily 200 feet across. In the center of the clearing was a cluster of enormous trees, unlike any James had seen. Their stout branches, extending outward horizontally, were supported by thick root-like shoots that reached down to the ground, forming a labyrinth of columns that surrounded the massive main tree trunks. James could see people moving around in the shadowy interior of the, of the tree forest, or fortress. There appeared to be dozens of them, dark-haired and brown-skinned like his captors, men and women, some of them children. They were speaking, but in a strange language that consisted most, mostly of guttural sounds and a strange clicking noise. But James neared the trees. As his attention was drawn to a place at the far end of the clearing, there a half dozen men holding spears were loosely gathered around a small group of people sat on the ground, seated on the ground. One large person and three small ones. Alf and the boys. James' knees went weak with relief. Prodded unnecessarily by the savage behind him, he stumbled toward his mates, who turned towards him as he approached. He saw worry on Al's face and fear on those of Prentice, Thomas, and Tubby Ted. James, suddenly aware of his exhaustion, plopped down next to Prentice. The two savages who'd captured him exchanged a rapid series of odd sounds with the others in the circle. Then he fell silent, watching the captives expressionless. Alf glanced up at the men, then turned to James. You all right, lad? He whispered. Yes, sir, said James. You all right? I'm, I'm scared, said Prentice, his voice shaking. You, you left to look for Ted, and they, they came out of nowhere, and they... He stopped, his shoulders shaking with sobs. James put his arm around Prentice and said, It's okay. We'll be okay. All right, sneered Tubby Ted. We'll be just fine. James shot Tubby Ted a be-quiet look, but Ted wasn't finished. You got us into this. You said we should go into this stupid jungle, and now look where we got us. Captured by savages. Thank you, so we'll be killed and eaten. Now... 
Um, Prentice and Thomas were both sobbing. Ted, said James, his voice low but furious. If you keep that up, I'll kill you myself. Do you understand? We don't know what they plan to do. So far, they haven't done anything to us. They might be friendly, right, Alf? The boys looked at Alf. Um, right, Alf said, not at all believable. They could be friendly. Then why'd they capture us, whispered Prentice. Why are they watching us like this? What are they going to do? I don't know, said Alf, but I am to talk to them. But how, sir, said James. They make those, those noises. I know, said Alf, but I've heard some tales in my times about how to talk to a savage. The trick is keep it simple. What do you mean, said James. Watch, said Alf. Slowly he got to his feet. The savages shifted a bit, getting closer to him, but not stopping him. Alf faced the savage closest to him, an older man, perhaps in his forties. Solemnly, Alf raised his right hand, palm out. How, he said. The savage studied Alf for a moment, then turned and grunted, clicked something to his comrades, who laughed. Then the savage turned back to Alf, and transferring his spear to his left hand, raised his right hand and said, How? Alf looked quite surprised. Now what? whispered James. I don't know, said Alf. He hadn't really planned it out. His mind raced frantically, but nothing came. Finally, he decided to stick with what has been working so far. He raised his palm again. How? he said. This elicited more grunts and clicks from the older savages to his co-savages, who responded with more laughter. The older savages then turned to Alf again, and again raised his hand and uttered another solemn how. Alf pondered this next move. On one hand, the savages seemed to be responding reasonably well to how. On the other hand, they weren't really making much progress. At least they're not eating us, he thought. Ten seconds went by, then twenty, as Alf looked at the older savages and the older savages looked at Alf. Finally, out of sheer nervousness and unable to think of what else to do, Alf raised his right hand again, but this time, just as Alf began to speak, the savage rotated his sphere from the vertical to the horizontal, pointing it at Alf's chest. Alf stopped in mid-how, staring at the sharp pink spear tip, inches from his heart. And then the savage spoke, or then the savage spoke. Poking his spear tip against Alf's chest, he said, Can we move this conversation along, old chap? I'm getting frightfully tired of how. Chapter 41. We'll think of something. Peter was barely breathing now. He was right behind Molly, the two of them moving slowly, slowly through a thicket of vines, placing each footstep with excruciating care, lest they break a fallen branch and give themselves away. They were very near the voices, which were coming from a clearing just ahead. Mostly it was the strange grunts and clicks, but twice there had been another low, distinct voice, and both times Molly had turned back and mouthed the name Alf. Now Molly stopped. She reached the edge of the thicket and was careful carefully pushing some vines aside, making a slit to see through. Peter moved close, looking over her shoulder, careful not to touch her, but very aware of the fact that he liked the way her neck smelled. As the vines parted, Peter's attention was drawn from Molly's neck to the clearing, which was dominated by a huge tree, actually a group of trees. In the center protected a thicket of odd vertical pole-like growths descending from the branches. Moving among these poles were brown-skinned, black-haired people. The men wearing those loin only loincloths, the women in slightly more modest, loose shifts, and smaller children happily naked. Peter, whispered Molly, looking toward the right. Look. Peter looked it, and his heart jumped. There, perhaps fifty feet away, a dozen of spear-wielding men were surrounding his mates. James, Prentice, Thomas, and Tubby Ted. Alf was there, too, but the big man was standing, holding his right hand up, speaking to the oldest-looking of the men. Whatever he said, it apparently was the wrong thing, because suddenly the savage was pointing his spear directly at Alf's chest. "'He's going to kill Alf,' whispered Peter. "'We've got to stop him.' "'How?' said Molly. "'I don't know,' said Peter, moving toward the right, keeping just outside the clearing. "'We'll think of something.' 
We'd better think of something. Chapter 42. It's here. Little Richard slipped into the waves without a splash, a difficult job for a man so big, and dragged the dory ashore alongside Stash's longboat. Slank, a sword and two pistols stuck or slank, a sword and two pistols stuck into his belt, waited for the boat to hit sand, and then hopped out into the shallow water. He strode to the stand, knelt on one knee, and studied the pattern of the prints in the sand. Two, maybe four children, Blackstash and his men behind them. He pointed out the thick groove in the sand. Somebody was dragging something heavy. The treasure, said little Richard. The treasure ain't heavy, said Slank, and it floated, don't forget. But if it's not the treasure, wreckage from the Neverland, I'd venture to guess. Don't know why they'd be dragging it up on a beach. He looked up toward the jungle, and little Richard followed his gaze. We're going in there, he asked. A big ape like you, afraid, said Slank. Spiders, said little Richard sheepishly. I hates them. I reckon there's spiders in that big, er, in there big as your fist, teased Slank. Hairy spiders, spiders that needed a shave. Little Richard shuddered, then saw something in the sand. Look here, he said. Slank came over to see what little Richard was pointing to. It was an indentation in the moist sand, with parallel bands running left to right. Between the bands was a pattern of wood grain. Water barrel. Whoever was dragging it stopped to rest here. Blackstash might be a fearsome pirate, but he's not much of a tracker, is he? He's chasing a water barrel. Slank barked out a laugh. What's more, he continued, the fools left his longboat unguarded. We'll tow it around that point, he indicated, curving spit of sand in the distance. So when Mr. Stash returns for his from his water barrel chase, he'll find he has a nasty long swim to reach the wasp. Meanwhile, we'll be locating the treasure. How do you know it's here, said little Richard? How do you know the storm didn't carry it off? Oh, it's here all right, said Slank, his hand going to the chain at his neck. I can feel it. It's here, and it's going to be mine. Also, I apologize for the ice cream truck sounds in the background.